You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Iran continues its recovery from a cyber attack that disrupted subsidized fuel distribution. Wanted in Stuttgart, but living it up in Russia, ransomware kingpin Nikolay K. The Conti ransomware gang gets poor customer service notices. Food distribution is on the cyber criminal's target list. Solar markers use of SEO poisoning. The U.S. publishes a statement of strategic intent for its cybersecurity czar's office. David DeFore from Webroot wonders if there's any hope at slowing down malware. Our own Brandon Karp describes the DoD's SkillBridge program. And decryptors are made available for three ransomware strains. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 28th, 2021. Iran continues its efforts to recover from an apparent cyber attack that crippled subsidized distribution of gasoline throughout the country, Security Week reports. As of yesterday, only 220 of the 4,300 filling stations normally connected to the discounted fuel network had been reconnected. About 3,000 stations are able to sell fuel offline at unsubsidized market prices, Representatives of Iranian government are quoted by the AP as saying that the goals of the attack were to create disorder and disruption. Tehran has blamed an unspecified foreign government for the disruption, but according to the BBC, another, at least nominally hacktivist opposition group calling itself Predatory Sparrow has claimed responsibility. People claiming to represent the same group also said they were involved with the disruption of Iran's passenger rail service earlier this year. But it's still too early to consider anything predatory Sparrow claims as authoritative for attribution purposes. And of course, it's worth recalling that hacktivist groups can be entangled with state intelligence services or can even be a front operation run by those services. German authorities tell BR24 that they've identified the criminal kingpin of the once-in-future R-Evil gang, or at least a member of the gang's core group. His association with R-Evil goes back to the days of its Gandcrab predecessor. 
which argues for some continuity of leadership across the protean rebranding such gangs periodically undergo. German police apparently tracked Nicolai K. by following Bitcoin transactions, and that is his hacker name, Nicolai K. He represents himself online as a cryptocurrency trader. German federal investigators and prosecutors have obtained an arrest warrant but Nikolai K. is at large in Russia and unlikely to ever face German justice. He has vacationed abroad, most recently in Turkey, but apparently no extradition request was ready at that time. More recently, apparently, he's been content to live it up on a Black Sea yacht. No extradition treaty covers yachts in Russian territorial waters. Turning to another gang that's recently made itself prominent in the news— CSO reviews the Conti ransomware gang. For all of its preening Robin Hood shtick, Conti is even less likely than other criminal organizations to restore victims' files or keep promises not to release stolen data. And the other criminal organizations, remember, set a pretty low bar of good behavior. CSO quotes researchers from Palo Alto Networks, quote, Usually, more successful ransomware operators put a lot of effort into establishing and maintaining some semblance of integrity as a way of facilitating ransom payments from victims. They want to establish stellar reputations for customer service and for delivering on what they promise, that if you pay a ransom, your files will be decrypted and they will not appear on a leak website. Yet, in our experience helping clients remediate attacks— Conti has not demonstrated any signs that it cares about its reputation with would-be victims. End quote. Demonstrating signs shouldn't be confused with saying, of course, and Conti was busy passing out wolf tickets last week when our evil disappeared as its infrastructure was taken down in an international law enforcement sweep. We noted yesterday the ransomware attack that affected Schreiber Foods, a major player in the dairy industry, CyberScoop has an update which, while noting that the company has been tight-lipped about the exact nature of the incident it sustained, says that Schreiber Foods was still recovering its plant operations into this week. The Wisconsin State Farmer reports that the attackers demanded $2.5 million in ransom. Some, like Progressive Farmer, see the attack as part of a larger trend in which criminals attack food supply chains— It would be naive in the extreme for operators in the agriculture or food sectors to think that they enjoy any immunity from criminal attentions, whatever posturing the gangs may engage in online. They really don't show much evidence of inhibition when it comes to selecting their victims. Any rationalization seems to do when it comes to hitting a target one might think ought to be exempt on the grounds that striking it would damage the common good. And in truth, most of the gangs probably can't even be bothered to engage in flimsy rationalization. They'll take what they can. Menlo Security has published research into the Solar Marker criminal campaign currently in progress. They see Solar Marker as one of an increasing number of threat actors who use search engine optimization poisoning, that's SEO poisoning, as an evasive approach that can bypass many traditional network defenses— it's enjoyed a high rate of success recently. Menlo says, quote, Attackers commonly use this technique to artificially increase the rankings of their malicious pages. They do this by injecting the malicious website with keywords that users search for. Across our customer base, we have seen a wide variety of search terms that led to malicious pages. 
We have observed over 2,000 unique search terms that led to malicious websites. End quote. The attack typically unfolds like this. You search for something in whatever search engine you prefer. The search engine results return websites that host malicious files, typically PDFs. If you click on the poisoned link, you're taken to a compromised site that invites you to download the document that appears to be what you're looking for. Should you click, you'll be taken through a series of HTTP redirections, at the end of which a malicious file is downloaded onto the endpoint. One interesting side note, the payloads were typically large, ranging in size from 70 to 120 megabytes. Their large size, paradoxically, enabled them to avoid detection since they exceeded the size limits content inspection engines normally define. Menlo offers a couple of safeguards organizations and individuals might employ. First, you can block downloading Windows executable file downloads from unwanted categories. And second, you might consider blocking sites whose top-level domains are either .site or .tk. The White House has published a strategic intent statement for the Office of the National Cyber Director, The stated goal is a world in which Americans are free to be enriched, empowered, and enlivened by digital connectivity instead of burdened by it. The document is striking in its recognition that cybersecurity is a complex set of many small problems and not something addressable by a single moonshot. Some good news on the ransomware front. Security firm Avast is making decryptors available for ransomware strains, including Adam Silo, Babook and Lockfile, and we say bravo, Avast. And finally, we remind you again that Halloween is almost upon us. But of course, if you're here in North America, society at large is so heavily pumpkinized this week that you hardly need us to tell you that. Still, we continue our series of sharing scary stats and stuff that have come over the transom from industry. Did you know, for example, that as BitGlass says, only 12% of enterprises are consistently able to detect insider threats stemming from personal mobile devices, including those that are off-premises or lack agents? Well, you do now. And how about this from Valamail, whose look at the landscape of fraud concludes that almost three and a half billion bogus emails go out every day. And who knows, odds are some of them are going to land in your inbox. Fordrock says that in 2018, data breaches exposed 2.8 billion consumer records, and that cost the U.S. organizations involved more than $654 billion. No wonder Jumio says that one in five adults in the U.S. get a case of the unsafe willies up their spine when they think about using online sharing services. Scary stuff, huh, kids? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Careful listeners to our daily podcast may have noticed the addition of a few new names in our end credits, among them Brandon Karpf. Brandon is a cryptologic warfare officer in the United States Navy, having served at NSA and U.S. Cyber Command, and he comes to us through the military's SkillBridge program, which is designed to help service members transitioning into the private sector. I was at the point where I knew the industry I wanted to go into. Because of my career in the military, I, I had fallen in love with cybersecurity. I knew that that is the domain I wanted to work in. I didn't know the work role. I didn't know where or what company, but I knew I wanted to work in the cybersecurity community. Well, for our listeners, describe how the program works, because you're, you're working with us right now, but you're still a bit under the wing of the Navy, right? Yeah, it's exactly right. And SkillBridge is an incredible Department of Defense program. And in fact, it is partly built for people like me, but it's even more built for the enlisted sailors, soldiers, Marines, airmen who have less experience out in the private sector. And the whole idea of SkillBridge is with your commanding officer's approval, you know, that's your senior boss, with their approval, you can spend up to the final six months on active duty working for a private company. And so basically what that means is your commanding officer approves you to go work and basically be an intern or a fellow at a private company for your last anywhere from three to six months of active duty and work as a member of that company, not really report back to the military I have to go back at the end for one day only just to kind of say goodbye. And that was the deal with my commanding officer. But she, and to her credit, she knew that it was going to cause a gap in her manning because the Navy was not going to send her another person to fill my role. But she saw the value of the program and approved me to go participate. And it's an incredible program. Uh, and I, I really do hope that more people use it uh, across the entire joint force. Just in the last couple weeks of me being at the Cyberwire, I've learned more than I anticipated. Just being part of a team 
in a private company, seeing the daily communications and the daily work and how things get done, there are some similarities with the military, but there's a lot of differences. And it's a very different environment. I can't imagine just jumping into a company, needing a paycheck day one, and getting out of the military and being stressed about all that on top of learning the job. You're on your, uh, I guess you're on your final approach, right? Or your, yeah. I, I guess a, a, a sailor's metaphor would be you're heading towards the dock, right? <laughs> so Exactly. Uh, <laughs> pulling, pulling into port. I'm pulling into port. Yeah, pulling into port. Yeah. There you go. I guess I could have said final approach if you were a naval aviator. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so what happens next? I mean, as this transition is looming, what are your thoughts there? What do you, how are you feeling about that? I'm feeling good. I did not feel good in the beginning. It's a real hit to your confidence. Um, I, like anyone, suffer from the imposter syndrome. So, you know, the question in my head this whole time and now and probably into the future is, am I actually cut out to work in the private sector? It might sound funny to someone who didn't serve in the military, but military service, that life in some ways is a lot easier than working in the private sector. It's easy to do that work because you know what's expected of you every single day. There's a baseline, there's a, there's a bar. As long as you don't fall below that bar, you're fine. And that bar is pretty much set at 80%. That's, that bar is not set at 100%. Hmm. There's some people that go above and beyond and, and like to operate above that bar, but you don't have to. It's pretty comfortable. Yeah, with, with military service comes the moving every two to three years and yeah, getting deployed and being away from family and that stuff sucks. But at the same time, it is very easy to get into that rhythm and do that for your entire life. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall into that trap. And I, I have too. It's anxiety-inducing going off of that highway. It is a highway. It is straight and narrow. And I knew for the next 20 years exactly what jobs I would have to do to get promoted, exactly where I would have to go to get promoted and get to retirement. And that would be my professional career. Um, I have taken the off-ramp. <laughs> and uh, here there be dragons. <laughs> That's United States Naval Officer Brandon Karp, currently working with us here at the CyberWire, courtesy of the U.S. military's SkillBridge program. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. Uh, David, great to have you back. You know, 
The past couple uh, segments you and I have done together, we've been talking about um, how things uh, seem to be headed in the same direction that they they have been. You know, ransomware just keeps on going. I'm curious for your insight on, are there things to be optimistic about or are there efforts underway to to sort of stem the tide of malware that seems to be getting worse and worse year after year? No, we should just give up. Uh, probably I'll go home and call it a day because it's over. We've That's what I get for asking. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, very, David DeFord, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Great being here, David. <laughs> sunny, <laughs> sunny as always. Yeah. Well, honestly. But seriously. So, <laughs> right. On a serious note, you know, it, it seems like when we're in the midst of a, of a big boon like ransomware is right now and, it, and it's causing lots of trouble that we never get ahead of stuff. But for those of us like myself, I, I won't lump you in there, David. You're a spring chicken. I, you know, I'm in my 50s. Um, <laughs> that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the big, big, big problems were, were your computer getting infected and, 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 um, locked up and you had to rebuild it, re-image it. Or then we saw botnets, worms, you know, spreading malware, spreading uh, and, and stealing data. And, and I don't want to say we solved those problems, but we did a lot to make those things difficult enough that the bad actors had to go on to something new. And unfortunately, that's something new is ransomware. And, and where I'm going with this is it's, it's you know, it, it's, a, it's a game, chicken and egg, where we're going to see what they come out with. We're going to come up with some solutions that make it so hard that folks don't use that. It's going to, there's going to be a lull. And then we'll, we'll go through the cycle again with whatever's coming new. It's not like people are going to magically stop attacking, you know, computer networks. It's that it just takes us a little time. We, we've come up with some good solutions and then we go to, we go to what's next. It, it's, it's how it is. What is on your radar in terms of things that are that are coming or, or efforts that you see that could really move the needle? Yeah, so from a from a ransomware perspective, it's it's all about backups first. Um, they've gotten what's what's super interesting, by the way, is they've gotten really good at infecting backups and laying mm. dormant until the infected backups are the primary backup so you don't have actually good backed up data. So so being on top of that and being able to remediate in real time, you know, when something is infected that basically eliminates the issue. I think we're going to see some of that over the next few years uh where it's basically recovering in real time to mitigate the ransomware exposure. And then eventually we'll crack the nut on on how to identify ransomware strains quickly through ML or behavioral heuristic analysis. And once we can start doing that, we'll start we'll start to see a real slowdown in ransomware simply because we can shut it down right away. We'll be able to hit the the panic button and stop it and 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 then recover. And then people will look back and say, man, remember the 2020s when ransomware was so bad? That's hmm. I, I really think those things where we can get ahead of it, it's going to trigger and we can prevent it from causing damage is what's really going to allow us to, to, to get ahead of ransomware. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think back to, you know, the, the decades or that we... We all had dealt with spam in our inboxes, you know, and that's pretty much a solved problem these days. I mean, you, you know, it's we've pretty much got that under control and yes. looking forward to the days when some of these other biggies are uh, in the same category. 
Well, what's interesting, David, I mean, I mean, we're starting to see an uptick in worms and 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 things that deploy ransomware inside networks. So it's the old adage that, that what's old is new. So the minute we mm-hmm. think ransomware is on the decline, somebody will come out with some new spam technology and that's what will be getting us. So right, it's always right. fun to see it. Fun is, a, is one word for it, sure. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Let's call it that. Okay. All right. Well, always a pleasure. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpeep, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. 